welcome to the Destiny Podcast. We hope this message blesses you. Anyway, let's continue on. You know, pretty much after I became a Christian in 1985, I started preaching. Uh, I became quickly aware of the fact that there was a call of God in my life, a uh, call to minister. And, but a lot of my preaching was very prophetic. And not only that, but it was coming out of, of through the, the, the prism of my brokenness. And, <laughs> you know, uh, and that's not a good diet of preaching for, for churches and congregations. And I realized that I needed to do something about that. So I went to Bible school in 1998. Uh, reading the Bible, studying the Bible, and And theology works in a certain way. You think a certain way, you examine things a certain way, which suited um, my whole emphasis on knowledge and learning and information and intellectualism. But I realized that much of what I learned, much of what I've, I've been taught, much of what I've heard, actually isn't what I believe in my heart. You know, there were times when people would talk about theological issues, the Bible, God, and I could grasp it with my head, but something in my heart was saying, "Mm, I don't feel, this doesn't feel right. But then I'm just a new Christian, so what do I know? (laughs) You know, I learn much more today to to listen to my heart. But I realised those conflicts within me, between my head saying, okay, I understand this, I see the logic in this, and my heart saying, "Mm, this doesn't feel right, it doesn't feel comfortable. That what happened was I subdued my heart by taking on board other people's beliefs, other people's misconceptions of who God was. You know? So for instance, reading Matthew's when Jesus, you know, the disciples come to Jesus and say, teach us how to pray. And Jesus said, okay, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. And we can read that and, and, and it becomes a prayer that we say in Sundays and, and some traditions and, and some services. But we don't actually realize what Jesus is saying. You know, chapters six of, of, of Matthew and ch- through chapter five as well, it's all about Jesus speaking about his father. You know, he, he gets his disciples together. He says, follow me. And they begin to follow him. And when they sit down, he begins to talk about the father. And he's saying, our father in heaven. And we focus on this great big throne when Jesus is focused on the father. You know, more than 200 times, Jesus refers to God as Father. My Father, your Father, the Father. Actually, he doesn't call him the Father because the isn't there in Greek. It's just Father. And he says, your kingdom come. It's not our kingdom, it's not Jesus' kingdom, it's the Father's kingdom. And as we said earlier, it's our inheritance from the Father. You know, Luke says, do not fear, little flock. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And so right at the beginning of his ministry, Jesus is focusing his followers' attention on the Father, not on himself. And we see the same in John chapter 4. You know, when Jesus meets the woman at the well, he goes through Samaria and he meets the woman there. He says, you know, you're you're not married now. You've had four husbands. and, And he said this to her, interestingly. A time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshippers Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. You see, until recently, all of our prayer, all of our worship has been focused on Jesus. Jesus is the main subject of all of the songs we sing. Occasionally, Father gets thrown in there and Holy Spirit gets thrown in there but it's all focused on Jesus and yet Jesus' focus was not on himself but on his Father he said that he didn't come to glorify himself but to glorify his Father he said to his Father I have made your name known 
because that was the purpose of him coming. And he's saying to his disciples, prayer and worship, don't direct them to me. They're directed to the Father. And we've somehow never seen that. I certainly didn't see it. I came up in that tradition where everything of Christianity is focused on Jesus. It's all about Jesus. But the, the, the Apostle Paul says something interesting. When, when you read Paul's letters, we often skip over the, the dull bits, you know, the bit at the beginning, greetings. and But actually, all of his greetings are all from the Father. He introduces his letters as greetings from the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. <coughs> greetings from God our Father and his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So, so Paul very much understood this, that it's about the Father. Now, we don't forget about Jesus because Jesus is the only way to the Father. But he says something very interesting in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. He's talking again about these idols and food sacrifice to them. And he said, you know, yeah, there might be many gods, but for us, there is one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live. When I saw that, I had read that, I don't know how many times, but one day I read it and suddenly I thought, but wait a minute, I've been told my whole Christian life that I should live for Jesus. And yet Paul is saying that that's wrong. Paul is saying there's one God, the Father, from whom all things came. Now I thought everything came from Jesus. That's what I was taught. But he's saying everything comes from the Father, and it's the Father for whom we live. It says, there is one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came, and through whom we live. And then he, he says something amazing. He said, not everyone knows this. And I read it and I thought, you're right, Paul, because I didn't know it either. I didn't know this. And it, I, I, I realised it's part of that same passage of Scripture that says, a man who thinks he knows something does not yet know as he ought to. This is just a continuation of this. And he's, he's saying, John, you're so ignorant of the reality of spiritual things. In John 14, this has become quite a, an important passage for many of us in, in Father Heart Ministries. Jesus said, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would, I would have told you. But I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may be where I am also. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on you do know him and have seen him. And Philip said, Lord, show us the Father. That will be enough for us. And so Jesus is, is, is preparing his disciples for his departure. He's in the upper room with them. You know, from chapter 13 right through chapter 17, Jesus is in the room with his disciples and then in the garden. And he's saying to them, I'm going back to the Father. But don't worry, I'm going to there, go there and, and prepare a place for you. I'm going back to where I came from. And John 16 tells us, says that he, Jesus came from the Father into the world and was leaving the world to return to the Father. So he's, he's saying, I'm going there, back to where I originated from, but I'm not going there alone. I'm preparing a place for you and I will come and take you to be with me so that you and I will be in the same place with the Father. What does that look like? Well, it's, it's interesting. In John chapter 1, verse 18, John also writes, No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who came from the Father's side, has made him known. Now, that word that we've translated side is actually, that's not the, what the Greek says. The Greek says bosom. But the word for bosom, kulos, 
it's it implies the breast, the lap, the, the kind of neck and shoulder. And so Jesus, John is saying, Jesus came from this place of intimacy with the Father. What can that look like? Anyone want to guess? What would that look like for Jesus to come from the Father's bosom and from the Father's lap and his shoulder? And from heaven, isn't it? What does it look like, like though? Like yeah, but what does it look like? Can you hmm? kind of pitch at it? Come here. <laughs> sit in my lap. Sit in my lap. <laughs> <laughs> side on. Side on. And curry in. Come here. Come here. Come here. Take the picture. That's what it looks like. <clears throat> this is the place Jesus came from. The Father's bosom. At the Father's bosom. And yeah, it's a place of intimacy. That's what it looks like. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, mate. That, and so Jesus is saying, I came from that place from the Father, and I'm returning there, and I'm making a place for you there, so that where I am, you also may be. You see, we're, we're so often focused on what we have to do when the Father is saying, I just want you to be. And so when we see this picture in, in Ephesians of Jesus you know, in Ephesians chapter 1, it says that, you know, he raised Jesus to sit at his right hand. It's talking about this place of side, of his bosom. The right hand is actually, the understanding in, in Hebrew and Greek is the feminine hand. The right hand, I don't know why, but that's the, that's the picture that it gives. And so he's saying, I'm going there. I'm returning to the place I came from, and I'm making a place for you there so that you can be where I am. And we, we see a little picture of it in, in that upper room. You know, in John 13, when Jesus said, Someone, one of you is going to betray me. Peter leans over to, the, to John and he says, ask him who it is. And it says that he leaned back against Jesus' breast and looked up at him and said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? And so there's this idea of, of nestling in a place of intimacy. And Jesus came out of that nestling intimacy into this world, which must have been a shock for him. <laughs> and he's saying, I'm going back to that place. But I'm not going alone. I'm making a place for you there. Wow. And Jesus said, and, but the disciples didn't understand that that's where he'd come from. And so Thomas says to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? They hadn't this concept of intimacy with God. That was not a concept in Jewish religion because God was far removed and he had no time for men. He tolerated men who did the right thing and kept the law and everything else. He tolerated them, but he didn't necessarily like them. He just tolerated them. And so Thomas is saying, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So, so how, do we know, how can we know the way? And Jesus speaks those famous verses. We love to quote this, don't we? I am the way, the truth, and the life. But that's only half of the verse. The rest of the verse says, no one comes to the Father except through me. And I love Derek Prince, after he had that experience of, of being freed from depression and beginning to call God Father, he, he said of this verse that it speaks of a journey and a destination. He said, Jesus is the way to the destination and Father is the destination. And he's on to say, he goes on to say something that I agree with. He says, the sad thing is this. Much of the church has become stuck on the way and not yet reached the destination. He's saying that the major focus of the church on Jesus is not what Jesus came to bring us into. Now again, please hear me, I'm not saying we do without Jesus. We don't. We can't separate God in that way. But actually, Jesus did not focus attention on himself. He wanted to reflect all attention onto his Father. He's saying the reason Jesus came was to show us the way back home. And I'm going to talk some more about that tomorrow. 
You know, in, in Luke 15, the younger son goes off and he gets kind of lost, loses his way. You know, we've all done that, left home and kind of lost our way a little bit. I did. And he's got an older brother at home who just stays at home. But what he's saying is, the father sent our older brother to come and show us the way back home. And the way he did that was to reveal to us what father is truly like. He's not the big scary monster we thought he was. But he wants to bring us to a place of intimacy. And Derek Prince said, but the problem is we're still stuck on the way. We feel safer on the road than we do at home. And Jesus goes on, he says, you know, if you really knew me, you would know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And so we have this idea that, you know, if you've seen Jesus, then you automatically know the father. And there is a truth that if we want to know what father looks like, we can look at Jesus because he said, I only do the things I see my father doing. I only speak the words that he's taught me. And so we've come to this place where we say it's all about Jesus and Jesus only. You know, when, uh, when he t Jesus takes Peter and, and James and John and goes to the, this mountain, and on the mountain suddenly Elijah and Moses are there, and Jesus goes up to the mountain and he meets with them, and, and then they, they disappear, and it says they looked up and saw Jesus only. And so we have this whole thing of it's all about Jesus. Everything you need is in Jesus. He's the manifestation of the Father. We focus attention on Jesus. He's everything we need. He's our all-sufficiency. There's no other name because he died and he rose again. And if that's true, then there is no further revelation of the Father. You already know the Father because you know Jesus. But to say that from that passage of Scripture is actually... A misunderstanding. That passage of scripture is not about Jesus only. It's about the death of the old covenant and the arrival of the new covenant in the person of Jesus. That's what that's about. And so the, the church battles with this theological reality of an experience of the Father. Because they, they think, well, if if Father lives in Jesus and Jesus is in the Father and all he does is the Father's works and all he speaks is the Father's words, then if we're connecting with Jesus, surely we're connecting with the Father too. So how can there be a further experience? How can there be a further revelation? And yet after Jesus makes this speech, after three and a half years of following him around, watching him, observing him, listening to him intimately, Philip still says this. He says, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. <laughs> He's been with Jesus all of this time. Jesus is saying, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, you know him. But actually, all they have is knowledge about him. And Philip is expressing this frustration that all of them feel. He's saying, Jesus, I can see you, but I can't see the Father. Show him to me and, and I'll be satisfied. They're looking at Jesus over these years. They've traveled with him. They've lived intimately with him. And they see the, the connection he has with God. In fact, he calls God Abba, which means Daddy. You know, when I was in, the, I was in Israel in 2013, um, sitting on the beach, and it really brought this alive to me. Because today, they still, little kids still use that word to call on their dads. And so I could hear these little kids in Israel, on the streets of Elat, and on the beaches of Elat, crying out, Abba. <coughs> and it wasn't, Father, Father, excuse me, Father. That's not what they were saying. They were saying, Daddy, I want an ice cream. Daddy, pick me up. And so Jesus uses this intimate expression. It's an Aramaic word, Abba, which is Papa, Daddy. And they see this. The Pharisees hate it because it's irreverent, but they want what he has. They want this direct contact, this direct communion with Father that Jesus seems to have. And Jesus is saying to them, guys, I've been with you for three and a half years. I've been showing you the Father. 
You should have seen him by now. You should understand. But Philip gives this expression. He said, and really what he's saying is, we know you, Jesus. But we know there's something beyond just knowing you. And it's true. We can come into a place where we are very intimate with Jesus. We know him. We love him. But there is further revelation needed where Father is concerned. If we want to come into that place of relationship with the Father, we need revelation. Paul prays that in, in Ephesians chapter 1, doesn't he? He said, I pray that the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation to know him better. And so there's, there's a place where we need to come to that we understand who he really is. He's not God on the throne, but he's Abba, who brings us into this place of intimacy where we can rest our heads on his breast and hear his heartbeat. And I've, I've become fully convinced that unless we come to know and have this revelation of the Father, then we have not yet experienced the fullness of the gospel that Jesus brought to us. Absolutely convinced. Without a revelation of the Father, we are not fully living in salvation. We're saved, we're going to heaven, but we're not experiencing the fullness of it as he intended us to. You know, Jesus, we, people say, think that revelation is about, you know, getting steps and learning the secrets to opening heaven's doors. But actually, revelation can't be bought, can't be searched out, because it's dependent upon the person revealing something to you. You can ask me all sorts of questions about my past life, about my arrest. But unless I tell you, it doesn't matter how many questions you ask or how good the questions are. It doesn't matter how often you badger me. If I refuse to tell you, you will never know. And it's the same with this. You can learn the secrets of the universe. You know, some books promise you that, don't you? Seven steps to knowing everything and, <laughs> you know, ten steps to prosperity. First step is send me a hundred bucks. <laughs> that works for him. <laughs> but, but we see it in, in Matthew 16, where Jesus said to his disciples, you know, who do the people say I am? And they're saying, well, some say you're Jeremiah or one of the prophets come back. Some say you're John the Baptist, which is crazy. Because Jesus and John the Baptist were seen together in the same place. <laughs> He's not John the Baptist. That just shows you how crazy religious thinking is. But Simon Peter steps up and he says, You're the Christ, the son of the living God. And, Peter said, and Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. This was not revealed to you by men, but by my Father in heaven. In other words, Peter, this didn't come through learning or teaching this didn't come by sitting under my teaching or, or, or some other rabbi. This came by direct revealing from God himself. He put that knowledge in your heart that you didn't have before. That's what revelation is. Something being put in your heart that you just suddenly know is true. That you had no knowledge of before, that you didn't learn, you didn't read about it. Or if you did, you didn't take any notice of it. It's like getting saved. Suddenly, you open your heart to Jesus and, wow, he's real. You didn't learn that he's real. You experienced him being real to you. You didn't learn that he was real because you got insight from someone's teaching or you just opened your heart to something and experienced him saving you. Revelation is something that God puts into you. It's not something you learn. It's not something you reach out and grab and take hold of. It's something that he gives to you. And sometimes we think, why am I not getting the revelation? Well, perhaps it's because your heart is still being prepared. Why did it take Derek Prince 50 years for his heart to be prepared for that revelation of the Father? I don't know. You know, it took me... 20 plus years for my heart to come to a place where I could understand that God wanted to be a father to me not just God on the throne 
Because Christianity, I believe, is a religion of the heart. I love what Jesus says in Matthew 11. He says, At that time Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. And I wonder if one of the reasons is we don't get revelation is because we think we already know something. It links back to what Paul said in Corinthians. If we think we already know something, then we do not yet know as we ought to. And Jesus said, I praise you because you have hidden these things from those who are wise and learned, those who think they know it already. But you've revealed it to those who are little children in their hearts. Let me ask you a question. Who had the most revelation of anyone that's ever lived? It's not a trick. No? No? It's kind of obvious, isn't it? <laughs> the one man who walked on this earth and had fullness of revelation was Jesus. And he's saying, Father, you only give these revelations to little children. He's effectively saying, I'm just a big kid. <laughs> in my heart, I'm just a little boy who needs to be loved. And because I walk with that kind of heart, Father shows me all of these wonderful things. Because I walk with that kind of heart, he shows me what he's doing and allows me to join him in it. But he hides it from people who think they know it all. Oh. Wow. That's quite an indictment upon those of us who have spent our whole lives accumulating knowledge and information. To say that the reality of God is hidden from you. because you'll just abuse it. Just add it to your intellectual knowledge. And what he's really saying to them in this passage of Scripture is, you think you know Yahweh, but no one knows him except me and those to whom I reveal him. And so there's, there's a level where we can know about God, we can read about God, we can read the theology books, and some of them are great. I love theology. But there's a deeper knowing God that only comes through experiencing Him. There's a deeper knowing the Father that only comes through experiencing Him. Just as we experience Jesus, as we experience the Holy Spirit filling our hearts. So there's an experience of being loved by the Father. And Philip asks that question, show us the Father and that will be enough. He asks that because that revealing had not yet been given to him even though he'd walked with Jesus for three and a half years. And he'd heard Jesus teaching about the Father. He'd, he understood some of it even. He'd observed Jesus' relationship with the Father, but he didn't experience it for himself. And I think my problem, and I think the problem for many people in Christianity today is, we have an intellectual understanding of the Father. We sing the songs, no, I'm no longer a child of fear, I, uh, I'm no longer a slave to fear, I'm a child of God and, you know. But actually all we have is an understanding in our heads that that is the relational position we're in. But we're not experiencing the relationship. And it's a different thing to, to know that that's true. God has brought me into his family. It's an entirely different thing to experience him being a father to you which is what Paul quotes in, in 2 Corinthians 6, isn't it? I will be a father to you. And we can have all the correct language we like, but it will not compensate for the lack of experience. It will not compensate for the lack of revelation. It may make us look spiritual. It may make us look great Christians. But in our hearts, we will still live devoid of love. You know, Jesus said in John 16, he said, In that day you will no longer ask me anything. I tell you the truth, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now you have not asked for anything in my name. 
Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. And though I have been speaking figuratively, so this is after this discussion about I'm going now in the way, the truth and the life. He's saying, I've been speaking figuratively and you haven't been able to understand that. But a time is coming when I will no longer use this language, but I will tell you plainly about my father. And in that day, you will ask in my name. And he's saying, I will not, I'm not saying I'm going to ask him on your behalf. No. The father himself loves you because you have loved me and believed I came from God. And he's saying right at the end, you know, he's not saying you must end your prayers with in Jesus' name. Because if you don't, then God won't answer you. You know, my friend was speaking in Africa and he was speaking with some of the pastors there. And they, they said to him, we have noticed that when you, um, when you pray, you don't say in Jesus' name. And this is causing a lot of problems and a lot of gossip amongst the, the people here. And so my friend said, well, we're going to have a question and answer session. So why don't you, um, why don't you, you just wait until then? My friend's thinking someone else can answer that question. <laughs> and so they come to the question and answer session at the end of the week. And this man stands up and he said, we have noticed that when you pray, you do not say in Jesus' name at the end of your prayer. This has been a matter of concern. And so everyone who's in this question panel is like, oh no, crikey. But, but then he, he's, he continued to speak and, and my friend said, he had a little twinkle in his eye and he said, but we have noticed that when you do this, he still answers you. <laughs> and so Jesus isn't saying you have to have a formula, but he's saying this is about a, where you speak out of your heart a place of resting in what Christ has accomplished, knowing that the Father himself loves you. Like, the, you know, the writer of Hebrews says, we can come to the throne of grace and receive help in our time of need, boldly and confidently. This is what Jesus is referring to. He's saying you can come directly to the Father and he will give you what you ask for because you're coming in me. And he's speaking about our relationship with the Father these guys have not known before. Whenever they wanted something, whenever they had questions, they would come to Jesus and say, Jesus, tell us the answer. And Jesus is now saying, this is going to change. I will no longer mediate between you and the Father, but you will go directly to him and he will answer you himself. Wow. And we make a lot about Jesus being our mediator, and he does. You know, he mediated between mankind and God. He reconciled man to God. But, well, when two people fall out, so Cyril and Dennis have had an argument and they've fallen out and they're not speaking to each other because Dennis made some jerk chicken and he never gave Cyril any. And, but he didn't realise, he thought, he, thought he thought that Cyril wasn't coming in for dinner that night. So there's all this confusion. And so, Someone has to step in. So we'll say Linda, Linda's there and Linda calls a meeting and she gets Cyril and, and Dennis together and she sits them down and says, so what happened, guys? And, and he said, well, what? he wasn't coming in for dinner. And he said, I never said I wasn't coming in for dinner. And, and so there's all of this. I said, wait, 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 wait. This is a misunderstanding, guys. Can, can we see that? And, and so the guys calmed down and they said, right, yeah, we both got it wrong. I'm really sorry, De Dennis. I'm, I'm really sorry, Cyril. And, and they hug and they shake and... So what Linda did was mediate between you two and bring you back together again as friends. Now that you are friends again, she's no longer a mediator between you. She steps out of that. She still has a relationship with you. She's a friend, a mentor, whatever it is. But she's no longer the mediator. Because mediation is no longer necessary. And it's the same with Jesus. He's saying... One day I will stop mediating between you and God because I will bring you and God the Father into personal contact. And I will step out of the picture. I will still be your friend. I'll be your brother. I'll still be around. I'll still hang out with you and you can still chat with me and all of those things. But I will no longer mediate between you and the Father because I will bring you back into relationship together. That's what the cross was about. 
And we live so much of our Christian lives thinking Jesus is still mediating between us and God. That, that the Father is so far removed that we still need Jesus to run back and forward with messages. Jesus, will you ask God to, to help me? And Jesus runs to God and says, God, will you help John? And, and God says, yes. And Jesus runs back to me and says, that's okay, John. I, I got his agreement. <laughs> but he's saying that you can go directly to the Father, just the same as Jesus did when he was on the earth, and receive from him directly love, affection, answers, miracles, whatever it is you need. Because as my life becomes united with Christ's, so his Father becomes my Father. And I enter into the same relationship with the Father that Jesus experiences. And there's this transition. We see it through the Gospels. You know, Jesus said to the disciples, I no longer call you servants. But here's the thing. Read through the Gospels. Where did Jesus ever call them servants? He didn't. They thought of themselves as servants. And so he's, he's addressing their mindset. He's not addressing their position. He's saying, you know, you've thought of yourselves as servants, but I don't call you servants. I call you friends. And so there's this transition from they're suddenly like, oh, oh, he's not our boss. He's not our master. He's, he's our friend. And that's a, a huge shift in mindset for them. But then when he's resurrected, he says to Mary, go and tell Peter and the rest of my brothers. So there's another shift again. Not my friends, but my brothers. That I am going to my father and to your father, to my God and your God. So there's another mind shift. And he's saying, you can ask the father yourself because he is your own father. You don't need to come to me for answers, but you can go to him and ask him directly because he loves you. Not that he loves you through Jesus, but that he himself loves you directly. That his love is poured into your heart by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. Wow. Wow. This is huge. Because we've always thought of ourselves as God's servants and he is our master. But actually the reality is he is our father and we are his sons and daughters. We thought of ourselves as servants of God. But actually God does not ask us to be servants. You know, Hebrews chapter 1 verse 14 says this about servants. It says, Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who are inheriting salvation. If you're born again, you're an inheritor of salvation and all that that entails. And the angels are commanded by God on your behalf to serve you. You're like Mephibosheth with his feet under David's, David's table. Mephibosheth saw himself as a servant of the king. But the king brought him out of that mentality and sat him at the king's table and all of the other people served Meshibbeth, or whatever his name is, I can't say it. And he does the same with us. He brings us out of the place of thinking we're servants and he sits us at the banqueting table where the angels serve us as sons and daughters. And we've always had this emphasis on we need to come out from amongst them and be separate. And, you know, because we read 2 Corinthians 5 where Paul says, From now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if any is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And so we, we think we can't be partnered with evil and we have to cut it all off. And, you know, and I, I did horrible things. I cut myself off from all of my old friends who were good friends and, and because they're not living for God. It sounds so spiritual and it's just so stupid. You know, the past is in the past. It's not relevant. It's all dealt with at the cross. But if that's true, then why do I still feel pain? Why do I still get angry? Why do I still sin? 
Why am I still overcome with anger? Why do I still have difficulty in relating to people and how people relate to me? You know, our emotions, our thinking, our hearts, they're not always in line with, with God's ways. And you know, very often when our, our hearts are broken, we, I've heard people use this scripture to say, it's just in your imagination because it was all dealt with at the cross. <laughs> but the truth is we are broken. And we judge each other according to our brokenness. You're a good Christian, you're a bad Christian. You know, all of that kind of stuff. And we, we become ashamed of it and we hide behind all the good Christian behaviour. We try to get ourselves fixed. And I've done all of that and what I've found is that it doesn't work. Because I find there's more brokenness. <laughs> And in this revelation, I'm discovering that as Jesus has showed me his Father, and as the Father himself has come to love me, his love is changing my heart. His love is healing my heart. I'm not saying it, he's fixed me, but he's healing the pain and the brokenness of my life. I'm not fixed. And I won't be fixed, if you like, until Jesus returns. But Paul goes on in Corinthians and he says, All of this, all of these new things is from God, who reconciled us to himself, through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. You see, Jesus' work was not to make God happy with us. You know, we have this picture that God was raging angry with humanity. He was going to kill us all. And Jesus came to prevent that from happening. But it's not true, is it? Because God so loved the world, he sent his son. <laughs> The cross was not to quiet in God's anger. The cross was to destroy sin and the power of death. I'll, I'll, I'll probably talk more about this tomorrow, but, but think, you know, when Adam was put out of the garden, he was put out so that he wouldn't eat from the tree of life and live forever, yeah? Genesis 3.21 tells us that. And so he was introduced to physical death. And so mankind experiences death. But Jesus came and defeated the power of death through the cross. It was not about your punishment. It was about defeating death and sin. And for some reason, the cross was the only way that could be done. Jesus didn't take your place on the cross. There was never a place on the cross set aside for you. Jesus went to the cross to destroy the power of sin and death over you and release you from it. And in that releasing from, from the power of sin and death, he made it possible that we would be reconciled to God. That was his ministry, to reconcile us to God the Father. And our ministry is, you know, Christ gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Not, he didn't give us the, the ministry and the message of, of condemnation or destruction or punishment. He gave us the message of reconciliation. So that as people come into Jesus' saving grace, they can also then come into a revelation of the Father. And our ministry is to bring people to Christ and not finish there. But bring them into Christ so that we can develop an understanding that there is a Father who wants them to reconcile with him. That's, that's what, you know, I love some of the translations of, of John 5, 19 and 20, but it says, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. When Jesus went to the cross, the Father was there. He didn't turn away from him, but he was there. He was doing the reconciliation himself in Christ. Not counting men's sins against them. Wow. It doesn't say not counting Christian sins against them. It says not counting men's sins against them. And women's. Not counting mankind's sins. 
they've all been wiped out. The sins of humanity have been wiped out from God's memory. And now we've been given the message of reconciliation to say it is safe to come home. You don't have to be afraid any longer because he's not who you thought he was. He's destroyed the things that cause you to be broken. He's destroyed the things that, that take away your freedom and you are free to come home and experience the place that Jesus has prepared for each one of us. That's the gospel. He's not reconciling us to Jesus, but through Jesus reconciling us to himself. It's not saying we don't lift Jesus up. Of course we do. It's incredible what Jesus did to come and, and die that death and live that life and, and all of that stuff. To come and show the Father to us despite the fact that all of these hearts were closed to that reality and that truth and they wanted to kill him because of that revelation. Amazing what he did. And he did it as one of us, as a man, with human weakness and frailty. But he wants to bring us to a place where we see a heavenly father who loves us with an incredible love that we can only dream of beyond what we could ever imagine. But it takes time. You know, it took Philip three and a half years to ask that question, show me the father. <laughs> I don't think, I wonder if up until that point, Philip even realized that there, he could have a relationship with the father. Maybe he didn't know it was possible. And Jesus is saying, I am going to prepare a place for you in my father's house. You've seen the father, you know him. And Philip says, no, I haven't. Show him to me and that will satisfy my heart. See, he didn't ask questions about the father. He said, show me the father and my heart will be satisfied. It took me 20 plus years to come into that place of revelation. And I'm still getting revelation about him as my father. I've not arrived, I've just done a, a different leg of my journey. And I'm convinced that our preaching of the gospel is not complete until people understand there is a reconciliation with a father who loves them and who has loved them since before they were in their mother's womb. Jesus calls us brother because we have the same father. And Paul goes on, doesn't he? He says, we are Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That's interesting, isn't it? He doesn't say be reconciled to Jesus. He says, we implore you on Jesus' behalf as though we were speaking from Jesus. Be reconciled to God, the Father. Because the relationship with God, the Father, is the goal of Christ's ministry. And if we walk as Christ walked, then it should be the goal of our ministry. But unless we know that relationship ourselves, we can't talk to people about what that looks like. We can't talk to people about what that feels like. Or, or, or We have no idea unless we're experiencing that relationship. And we can say to people, guys, life is so much better than you ever realized. This religion stuff that you thought you had to do, the rules and all of that, it's, it's rubbish. We invented that because we lost relationship with the Father. But when you come to know the Father and your heart being transformed by His love, you don't have rules to keep, but you respond to His love. And His Spirit in you automatically causes you to walk in His ways without having to work up the courage or the effort or the energy, without having to fast for 40 days to get in the right frame of mind. His love being poured into your heart when you realize he is the father you have searched your whole life for. When you come to there and begin to explore that relationship, your life becomes totally different. You start to become a different person. And that is, that is where we're coming from when we share this revelation of the father. The understanding that this was Jesus' ministry to show us the Father, to lead us to him, to reveal him to us, that we would know him and he would know us. It's not a new idea, it's not a new teaching, but I believe that this is the will of God, that we come to know him as a father just like Jesus did, just like Adam did in the garden before he fell. You know, Adam was not God's creation, he was not God's servant. 
Luke is quite clear. In Luke chapter 3, verse 38, he's very clear. He says, Adam was the son of God. And so the relationship in the garden between Adam and God was the same relationship between Jesus and God. It was son to father. And that was the blueprint for all of humanity. The way Adam lived in the garden, the way Jesus lived on earth, is how God intended all of mankind to live. As sons to the father. And we can know the theology, we can know the, the doctrine, we can know what we're supposed to do and still never be reconciled to the Father. I think it's interesting, you know, Jesus came to mediate between mankind and God. Because I think if he had come as a father to us, we would have rejected him even more than, than Jesus experienced reje rejection. Because we've been so wounded by authority figures in our lives. Whether that's parents, grandparents, teachers, pastors, employers, whatever. And so what he did was really sneaky. You know, there, there is another name for God. You know, there's these 365 names of God. There's 366 actually. The, the 366th name of God is Jehovah Sneaky. <laughs> because he always seems to creep up on you and you think... Darn, he got me again. <laughs> and he, he was really sneaky in sending Jesus because he sent his son to be a friend and a brother to us. And it's so much easier to confide in friends and brothers than it is in parents <laughs> or authority figures or pastors. You know, pastors are often the last people in the church who know what's really going on amongst the congregation because they're authority. You don't talk to authority about that kind of stuff. And so he sent someone who would not be an authority figure to us, but we would be a friend and a brother. And we could see what his relationship is like with the Father and begin to desire the same relationship and understand that that's what we were always intended for. That we would open our hearts to this brother, this friend, who is gentle and kind and compassionate and tender and forgiving and understanding. Remember, he only does what he sees the Father doing. So that compassion, that tenderness, that kindness, what we saw was actually the Father's kindness, the Father's tenderness, the Father's compassion that Jesus just flowed in. And so we see that and we say, I want that kind of life. Well, that kind of life came from a certain kind of relationship. It came from the relationship of a son to his father. And Jesus came to show us what the real Father is like. That we might desire that and come into the same relationship. Because Christ didn't come to glorify himself. He came, he didn't come to create a following for himself even. You know, we, we take great pride and say, I'm a Christian. Do you know that was never a, a name of pride? That was an insult hurled at the first century Christians by the pagans. It was an insult. And so Jesus didn't come to create that kind of following. But he came to reconcile us to his father. Because that's where we came from. Understanding that all things came from him. And it's him we live for. But we live through Christ. And I love, you know, we all love John 3.16. You know, God so loved the world, he sent his son that whoever should believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. My, I prefer the next verse, verse 17. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And yet we preach a message of condemnation when Jesus preached a message of reconciliation that we might be saved through that message of reconciliation as we come to know the Father loving us himself we come to experience the friendship and brotherhood of Jesus and we come to experience the tuition and leading of the Holy Spirit we enter into a wonderful world where, where Peter says that through his great and precious promises, we participate in the divine nature. Wow. 
wow. What, you know, what does that look like? I, I can't begin to imagine what that looks like. But somehow it begins when we come to know Jesus. He leads us to the Father. We come to rest in the Father's bosom and hear his heartbeat. Our hearts come to a place of rest and peace that religion hasn't been able to give us, that church hasn't been able to give us, that, that so many things haven't been able to give us. And somehow we participate in the divine nature. Wow. That's what he's got prepared and planned for each one of us. That's good news. That's the gospel. So this isn't some kind of new fad teaching. This isn't something that sprung out of Toronto back in 1994, the whole father thing. This is something ancient that we are rediscovering. Just as we rediscovered through Martin Luther, the truth about faith in Christ would lead to salva personal salvation. Just as we learned that, that there is a, an experience of the Holy Spirit by which the Christian life can become more full and alive and vibrant, so also we are being brought into a place where our experience of the Father loving us brings us into a supernatural state of relationship and intimacy that we never thought was possible. And it's what you were made for. It's what you were created for. You don't look too sure. <laughs> You're like, yeah, right, John, sure. <laughs> this is the reality. This is Christianity 101. You were made to be fathered by God. <laughs> Whatever that looks like for you. I know what it looks like for me. I know what it ex I experience in that. But whatever that looks like for you, you were created to be loved and fathered by God Almighty. And he invites you to call him Papa. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Lord, it's just like too incredible to take in at times the enormity of that love, the vastness of that kind of compassion towards me, towards us, that would just embrace us and say, I know you're broken, but that's not who I see. Thank you, Father, when you look at us, you don't see the brokenness. You just see your son, you just see your daughter, and your heart of love reaches out to embrace. And so, Father, I pray over these next few days and for the guys in the school over the next few months, they would experience what it is to be embraced by you. They would experience what it is to be enveloped in love, the love that they were intended to be birthed into. Father, that there would be an outpouring and a, a weightiness of love in this place, in these sessions, that just says, welcome home to our hearts, that says it's all right to be you. Thank you, Father. Thank you. It's how you see us. And so we want to come to that place where we can say, yeah, I'm broken, but I like being me. There's no one else I would rather be. Father, my prayer is that you would bring our hearts over the, the days and weeks and months ahead to that place where we can just enjoy walking with you in relationship. Knowing your love being poured into our hearts. Knowing your love creating new foundations and restoring identity and security to our whole beings. Thank you that God is just your job description, but Papa is who you are. Amen. Thank you for listening to the iDestiny podcast. For further information, check out www.idestiny.org.uk.